TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, before we get started here, I just want to get your opinion. I've been mm-hmm. working on a little something, okay. and I, I just want to know what you think. Okay, sure. Or this one. Uh, Chris, I feel like that maybe you should go back and rethink those alerts and come up with something maybe not quite as obnoxious. Well, they are supposed to get your attention, Matthew. This is true. This is true. But I think there's a fine line between uber obnoxious and getting my attention. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll I'll go back to the drawing board on those and okay. leave you, Good call. you know, to the to the chair over there. So, yes, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about the ninth episode of Enterprise season two. This is Singularity, and here's a quick rundown. When the crew of the NX-01 discovers a Class Four black hole, they decide to investigate. But the closer they get, the more they lose grip on reality. As they approach the black hole, they each become obsessed with trivial matters. Reed searches for the perfect alarm to get everyone's attention. Hoshi seeks to make the perfect miso soup. Phlox turns into Dr. Frankenstein. And Trip prepares to pitch his new HGTV series, this old chair. Thankfully, Vulcan physiology is unaffected by the phenomenon, and T'Pol is able to pull everyone out of danger at the last second. It's a story that's been told before, but how well does it work here? So, Matthew, we were talking before the show on the other side of the Warp 5 engine, whatever we want to call it here, and you (laughs) mentioned this point that this is a story that we have seen before. So should they have gone to this well again? Does it work better or worse for you here than in other series? Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, uh, something that as I rewatched the episode, I was struck by is that we've done this many a times where something drives the crew crazy, you know, all the way back to the naked time. Uh, and, you know, it's something that happens in every series, it seems like, the naked now. And then Deep Space Nine has theirs, um, which I'm blanking on the name of, which I don't know why. Um, but it's in the first season. I remember that. Um, I feel like Voyager's got its own. Yeah. Uh, and now Enterprise does. And I think I think it's it's kind of frustrating that all of the shows kind of try and do this. Now, as I say that, what makes this interesting is that this makes sense for Enterprise to run into this and have this issue. Because they don't know Mm -hmm. any better. 
They literally don't. And I think that's what actually makes this work in many ways is the fact that you have these characters who run into this and they don't understand what's happening because they've nobody's experienced anything like this before. And so I, I my comments anywhere here in the episode aren't going to have really anything to do with if there's it's something negative most likely it has nothing to do with the episode it has more to do with the fact that a lot of this has been done before and and that's not this episode's fault they can't do anything about that right that's just that that's the unfortunate place uh that we find ourselves in you know um, yeah. with this you know this this specific episode and the fact that by this point you know you've done so much star trek um Mm -hmm. and you know they do repeat themselves right yeah exactly the the ds9 episode you're thinking of from season one is dramatis personae thank you Uh, i just it was one of those things i couldn't i couldn't remember i'm sorry yeah it actually is a title it's hard to remember even for me but the uh, one point i wanted to bring up today in talking to you about this is about that episode in particular Mm -hmm. because we've mentioned that episode before in other discussions and i think that this episode singularity on enterprise works a lot better than dramatis personae does because oh i know when we talked about it we talked about it on saddle up when they did the elysium kingdom episode Mm -hmm. where yeah that's yeah yeah we talked about when when you have people acting differently than they should early in a series, it often doesn't work well because you don't know the characters very well yet. And right. in Dramatis Personae, one reason why I really don't care for that episode of Deep Space Nine very much is because it falls so early. Mm-hmm. It's the 18th episode of the series, and we right. really don't know the characters very well yet. And the characters haven't even themselves settled into the people who we come to know as being the crew of DS9. In this episode, I feel like we've gotten to know the Enterprise crew well enough and their characters have settled down. We often talk on here about how they're coming together as a crew, how they're getting to know each other more, to Paul and Archer settling in a lot better with each other. And so I think here that when they start acting unusual like this, it does really stand out to us that, mm-hmm. yeah, this is not how they should be acting. But at the same time, what's interesting about this story is that the weird behavior, it's not like Dramatis Personae where it's like a, a telepathic imprint of aliens that have taken over the bodies. And so the characters are are kind of channeling someone else. It's not that type of story. It's like taking the idiosyncrasies of each character and then amplifying that Mm -hmm. in a way that on its own is fairly harmless. But as they get more and more carried away and then they start annoying each other, then you get into that naked now, naked time arena where the weird Mm -hmm. behavior could lead to their destruction if they don't find a way out of it. Yeah. I I think you're absolutely right in that, uh, that, and you know, we don't often say this, but this does work 
better than what we get in Deep Space Nine uh, in the sense that we know these characters uh, better by this point, and so that really does work. And therefore, it makes the storyline that happens with all of these characters make a little bit more sense, which is great. Um, I, I do I do like seeing that happen. I, I, you you do still just kind of run into as you're watching this episode as you have this thought of like, oh man, we've we've done this before, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And and so again, it it's it's just a part of the story, unfortunately. And so you just kind of have to then begin to uh you know look at the episode as it happens um and see how it actually plays out regardless of having kind of seen this before in other Star Trek series. Um, and so, yeah. and that's a thing to which, you know, I do think that this episode does do a good job, like you mentioned, because you've seen these characters now for over a season and we do have an understanding of kind of who they are as characters and and how they interact and how this they act in general together and a, a little bit about their personalities. So then as they kind of descend into this, you get a very exaggerated view mm-hmm. of who they are, which I think works pretty well. Right. Yes, yes. And uh, before we talk about each of those character moments... The other thing that's been done before, it's not as heavy in this episode as it has been in some, but it's that idea that there's one crew member who's unaffected, and then mm-hmm. at at the end of the day, they alone have to figure out how to solve the problem to save the rest of the crew. And so yes. we've seen that before as well. Okay, well, talking yes. about the uh, talking about the obsessions of each character, let's just start with my possibly favorite part of the episode which is trip's obsession with this old chair i feel like he's doing a he's gonna have one of those mm-hmm. remake shows on yes hgtv you know and it's just it's what you would expect from him as an engineer and also because he cares so much about archer he wants archer to have the very best chair possible mm-hmm. and then he it just gets really carried away. Yeah, I mean, I think each one of these is specifically about what each of these characters care about, like you said, and Trip really having this close relationship with Archer. And then I think it's just it's an engineering problem, right? That, yeah, that exactly. Um, it's in a simple one, but then you know, like everything, it becomes something to which then they obsess over. And so, yeah, him turning this into the worst DIY project you've ever seen <laughs> is pretty hysterical. Um, and so, I I do love that um, because it just makes sense that this this is where Trip would go with this and you know, cup holders. And I mean, you even see the background <laughs> where it looks like a dentist chair almost by the time Trip's right. done with it. It's it's insane. So he doesn't know when to stop, right? Yeah. But, no, he does not. But one thing I do like about this episode in terms of continuity is that even though in the end, 
he just slightly lowers the chair. Mm-hmm. He wants to put things like having access to the tactical controls in the armrests of the chair. And that's something that we actually do get in Captain's chairs later on. Yep. So even yep. though this is a, a black hole singularity induced DIY project gone wrong here, I think Chris Black, who wrote the episode, did a nice job of, of just giving us those glimpses of the future tech and where maybe it mm-hmm. came from. And maybe after Trip sobered up from this whole incident, he started thinking about the practicalities of what he was doing and maybe a way to do it better. Yeah. And we don't know exactly at what point that stuff was incorporated and, and maybe it uh, will come along sooner than we think. Yeah, I, I like what you mentioned there and the fact that this really is truly something that we see in Star Trek later on. And so, uh, and, and, and that's obviously what we get with a bunch of these, right? You know, because that's exactly what happens with uh, Reed and his whole Reed alert. You know, what he's wanting <laughs> is actually going to be something that we are going yeah. to um, see. And it actually then gets implemented later on in this episode because it's a, it is something that's really important. This idea that you need a way for the ship to be able to automatically get ready defensively with basically the push of a button. Yeah, yeah. And so, and it makes sense because, it, you know, even in his compromised state, we see that uh, Reed is specifically pointing to all of the issues that they have had as you've been moving forward throughout the series in the ways yeah. in which Enterprise has not been ready for confrontations. Yeah. And so I... I with that, and then, of course, with, uh, you know, with Archer's chair, yeah, we are actually pointing to either things that are going to happen in the future or things that are actually needed now. Yeah, so Yeah. So I have a point and then a question based on what you said there. Uh, first of all, don't you think that it really supports what we've been talking about on the show for a long time now about Reed's character and how he's very closed off from his crewmates in the like social sense and he's very focused and obsessed with his job whereas trip here gets sidetracked with a kind of a fun project to make the chair better reed is still very concerned about the ship's security and its readiness for battle mm-hmm. or emergency and so as he goes down that rabbit hole of obsession He's still doing something that I would say is very productive for the ship and for his job and his crewmates. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because I would say these two are probably the ones who are doing the thing that's most productive. Because, you know, I would say what what are what Trip is doing is not not productive because the ideas that he comes up with for the chair mm-hmm. and like we mentioned what are going to be seen later on in the future that are actually going to be on captain's chairs which allow them to have you know this this access uh more readily to things um i think all of that actually these are the ones that are, have the most legitimacy yeah. uh to things that we're going to see in the future. Yeah. Uh, and so I appreciate that. But yes, in in this specifically, we actually do see, you're absolutely right, this has a lot to do with the character that uh, that we know in Reed. 
mm-hmm. which is he takes his job very, very seriously. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciate that. You know, again, the the writer here is actually taking into account what we know of these characters, and I think doing it well. You know, um, like making these things make sense for the most part for these different characters, and so I'm picturing these enhanced armrests. I'm thinking back to the stories where Picard and Troy needed to uh, text each other on the armrest on the Enterprise, for example. Having those capabilities are very important in an armrest. Well, and you know, you, that's, it is a great joke. The idea that they are texting each other, but I mean, like you just think (laughs) of uh, like how much more that makes sense uh, in where we live, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Communication is, is so much yeah. a part of our lives, this text communication. Uh, so I can see now uh, Trip here or Jordy later or someone, they're like, um, the, the chair is going to be offline for the next 30 minutes. I've got a new emoji pack I'm installing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then the question that I wanted to ask based on what you were saying, do you think it's weird that the Enterprise has been out in space this long? Starfleet sent them out without anybody thinking about the need for an alert system like this. I mean, that's a that's a good question, and uh, but I I I think I would say to me this makes sense because they have no idea how many people they're going to go run into, right? And this isn't really something that we see with the Vulcans giving them a heads up about how many people they could run into that are going to be causing issues, right? And mm-hmm. so, and I think, and, and if, and if anything, I do believe this is actually a place where The, the 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 Vulcans are to blame for not preparing better humanity to be out there and the reality of what it means to be out there. I really do think this is, in many ways, their fault. Uh, they mm-hmm. should have helped humanity be more ready. If hu- If humanity was actually going to go out there, we need to help them understand the realities of what they're going to face which is yeah space can be more dangerous than you ever thought possible and so you know we're not out here to cause problems and like start wars and have to defend ourselves uh, all the time but if we need to do so we should be able to do so yeah so what you're saying is blame it on to praying she's a vulcan vulcan (laughs) something like that yeah (laughs) So, all right. And uh, <laughs> last comment on this topic of reading the alarm is I did love it. Maybe some people might think it's corny, but I did love when Trip suggested calling it a read alert. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, and of course, it's great because it makes you think of red alert and it's close enough. You know, he, he, he came up with yeah. um, the uh, what was it? What, what did he say? Red tactical um, yeah he had tactical, alert but he did there was have, uh, a couple of them red level or something i i, I honestly can't remember I, i'm sorry but he had the word red in there um that he he had pulled out and so yeah he's almost there he's almost there uh now the klaxon 
uh, that's totally different. He needs to keep working on that because <laughs> but, that was awful. It was awful, but another continuity point is that it does evolve into the klaxon it's actually used yes, on series. Yes, it does. Uh, so that's there. Okay, getting salty with Sato is what I call the storyline where Hoshi is... She says she's made Odin, and if you look at the recipe and the other stuff that she's actually making, it looks more like miso soup, but either way, she's making Japanese dishes, and Odin, by the way, is something that you'll probably find interesting as an American. If you go, especially in autumn in Japan and through the winter, if you go into any convenience store like a 7-Eleven, by the registers, there will be a giant tray filled with Odin that... You, Interesting. You just skip okay. the ones you want, put in the cup, take. Yeah, so this is a very, very common food. I think her comment about every Japanese family has their own way of making it is maybe not true, but uh, there are different ways you can make it. But anyway, what did you think about this storyline, though? Because where Trip and Malcolm are both becoming obsessed with something that's really related to their characters as we know them and their jobs... I don't really feel mm-hmm. like this is connected to Carrick, to Hoshi's character as we know her. It seems like, it almost seems like they just wanted to play off of her Japanese heritage and rather than have her doing something in the communications field or linguistics yeah, field or I, something. I feel like this is one of those places where they were thinking, uh, okay, what could we do to kind of add to the character in some way, you know, what could we do to, mm-hmm. to kind of make this uh, a little bit more interesting and it kind of, and to create some variety, right? Um, you know, uh, because they do that with Archer too, right? This idea that he need he needs to write this uh, forward. And so it's very kind of off the wall for his character, the idea that Archer needs to do some writing, which I don't think anybody thinks in them, uh, to themselves, oh yeah, Archer, the writer. Um, and so that's, I think, kind of where they're going with this. They they don't want something that just, okay, how can we accentuate each character's mm-hmm. job here on the Enterprise? Uh, how how do we make this more interesting in any way uh, that we can? And so creating this idea that Hoshi is interested in trying to hone her culinary skills was interesting, you mm-hmm. know? And then, of course, it also gives you the opportunity to, you know, dive into her heritage as well. And so, you know, to me, I, I think... Uh, it's it's probably one of the weakest parts of the story, but I, I I can see why they're doing it in the sense of of trying to add to the character, yeah, and just create something that doesn't just feel like okay, we're doing the exact same thing that we were doing with all of the other characters, and it's just not easy, you know. You're you're, I I think. I think this is this is where this is one of the places where I think the episodes are uh, this this episode is just kind of slightly repetitive in some ways um for what we're doing yeah and so um 
this just wasn't quite as interesting as it could have been. Yeah. What if they had, because we've seen her in the decon chamber a number of times since the beginning of the series, what if they had her turn out to be a germaphobe and she's trying to lure people into the decon chamber just so she can make sure that they're completely <laughs> germ-free? That, uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, you because, know, there's something. Because I've been trying to think also, like, we do see Porthos watching Archer try to write, but I was mm-hmm. thinking, what did Porthos get really obsessed with in this episode? And now I'm remembering when they had to rub down Porthos in the decon chamber, so maybe that could have been a storyline for Hoshi. I don't know. But we've also mentioned the episode from the original series already. So thinking of characters with Japanese heritage, do you think that Hoshi's obsession with cooking is better than when we found out in the Naked Time that Sulu loves to fence shirtless? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, that's the hard thing when you're doing these episodes in the first place. Okay, you're, you are having to think to yourself, okay, what are we going to make our character obsessed with? Yeah. And, you know, um, it's, I think with Reed and, and Trip, it's a little bit easier because, you know, they've already shown some kind of obsessions in the sense of what they do with their work is kind of an obsession for them, you know, uh, and so this allowed them to easily kind of, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to make Trip mm-hmm. obsessed with a DIY project and, you know, we're going to make Reed obsessed with something he's been talking about for a long time here, which is upgrading security. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Because he's already there. And, you know, I, again, I think this is a place where, uh, you know, with Archer and him writing this forward, you know, I, I think it fits in the sense that, yes, I, I think Archer would actually have a terrible time with this. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be very difficult for him, uh, to, be writing this about his father because he's so close to his father what um his he went through like his father went through i think it was uh, just a, a huge deal for him and so this one works mm-hmm. pretty well but again it's 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 also kind of weird you're just not a I mean, yeah. Archer as a writer. Okay, that's yeah. that's odd. Um, yeah. So, yeah. well, I I mean, Archer the author is what I think about. That's what I call this part of the story. But I think it makes sense. Maybe not connected to his character in the same way as the Trip Malcolm stuff is. But if you think of a captain of a starship, especially think of Picard. Think how many times that Picard had to give a speech or. Maybe not an official mm-hmm. speech, but he needs to communicate with the leaders of another world, and and he has to jump through some kind of hoops to meet their expectations, and he has to prepare remarks or something like that. And I think that for him, it's something that fits his character very well. But if you think of someone like Archer, Archer didn't sign up for Starfleet. He didn't sign up to be a captain and lead this ship so that he could write these these people are much more, they're much closer to the astronauts of our time who are pilots and hands-on mm-hmm. people and 
And they're not people who, you know, typically want to sit down with pen and paper or hear pad and, and hammer out words to give some kind of eloquent uh, speech or commentary on something. And so I think it fits really well that for him as the captain at this stage in Starfleet's history, it's a part of the job that's one that right. he probably doesn't care to do very much and he's not comfortable mm-hmm. with. And you see that where he wants to push it off onto Paul to write it for him even. Right. He's almost like the kid who yep. has to write the paper for school and is hoping that he can just get his parents to write it for him. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but but like you said, too, having to write specifically about his father, I think would be very difficult because there would be an emotional element to that as well that would make it difficult. And then he's in a compromised state because of the, of the influence yep. of the singularity. Yep. So I think this part of yeah, the story works. Yeah, yeah I, I think, you know... I, the other the other story that we kind of end up with which is is flocks and i think you know that one also makes sense that flocks would be you know kind of driven to a bit of insanity around a, a medical mystery or perceived medical mystery uh it, it works and it's just um it's also kind of like terrifying you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, his story, I think, is probably the scariest because you're just you're struck by. Can you imagine going to the doctor one day and your doctor starts doing this type of stuff to you? And like, I I don't know about you, but this this one turned into a, a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of scared the crap out of me, in all honesty. <laughs> Well, it is scary when the one person on the ship who's supposed to be caring for everyone turns into a mad scientist and wants to do brain surgery on you. But yep, this part of the story also is where we get a little bit of that loose continuity that we've talked about from time to time, because Phlox yes. makes yes. a reference to the neural implants that Travis got on the repair station in Dead Stop. So I liked that that was worked in. Yep, I agree with you. I, I thought that worked really, really well and um, was something that was uh, a great addition here. And I'm really glad that they kind of gave us that piece because it it just reminds you that we are... This is a series where all of these things are happening to these characters and their their lives have continued to go on. And in that, like... It's just, it's just this tiny little thing. Like, you know, again, it's one of those places where Enterprise just makes the, makes the attempt, Enterprise makes it a point to make sure that you remember where you are in the series and that what has come before and where we're going. And I just, I really appreciate that because it's, it's not like, it's a throwaway line. Like if you if you weren't if you just popped into this episode, like yeah, you know you you might um, other people might miss it, but it just I don't know. I, it's one of them. I'm glad you mentioned that, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of rambling now, but I just really appreciate it. So, well, it reminds you that these are real people, and that stuff has been happening to yes. them, and it's not a reset button. 
every week. So that's nice. As for Flux going down this path, I think that it also, you mentioned it, it's this curiosity of like, here's a scientific or a medical mystery and he really wants to solve it. And he has these skills and these techniques, which he think might help him. And again, because of the influence of the singularity, he's kind of losing sight of the fact that he's dealing with real people. And he starts to see Travis more as just like, um, like a lab experiment, basically. And you can also imagine that, that, Under normal circumstances, Flox has that ability to know when a path might cause harm and then hold himself mm-hmm. back from following that yeah. path, you know. And then when something like this comes up where those shackles are removed or those restraints are removed, then you can see what might happen uh, to someone whose yes. mind is normally focused on uh, such details and medical details like this or scientific details. If you think yeah. about the real world and inventions and, you know, kind of any technology can be used for good or bad, depending on who is applying it. Yeah. Uh, I, this is one of the places where the episode though, I think does a good job of just showing you, just showing you how terrifying this actually is. Because, you know, some of these are really silly, right? But also, some of these are very terrifying. Uh, And again, Flock's kind of going nuts here uh, changes this whole story. Uh, You know, you see the danger that can happen if a character isn't in their right mind and what they could actually do to people if they aren't in their right mind. Mm-hmm. I think I think to me, you know, this maybe is one of the places where this episode might be successful in the way that possibly other Star Trek shows like this have not been successful or as successful and that is because we're witnessing the terrifying nature of this firsthand. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's a place that this episode goes, which is really, really smart. It's mm. an interesting um, place to, yeah. you know, is to show us that, you know, because I, I think that so many of the other ones, everything is just kind of done almost as a laugh, right? But well, as a laugh or is a very serious mystery that feels like right. a rehash. Yeah. Depending yeah. on the episode, and and but I think this this one just kind of shows you it it could also be just downright terrifying. So yeah. well, I I'm not going to sick bay <laughs> when we're near a black hole. Note to self. Uh, no, thank you <laughs> for no, sure. No, 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 no. Oh, and so. one other tidbit of continuity or reference, anyway, that is in here that I thought was really uh, clever and cute is Flox makes a Voyager reference when he says to Travis that he needs to make sure that he's not carrying a protocystian spore, which is what the caretaker <laughs> was, right? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny too. Yeah. All right. Well, so the resolution of the whole story, T'Pol is able to save the day. And again, uh, 
maybe we're getting repetitive here on the podcast, but the resolution of the story just reinforces this growing relationship between T'Pol and Archer and T'Pol and the crew because, you know, she is able to get through to Archer in a way that I don't know if it would have worked as well if this had been earlier in the series. I do think that this episode shows that their continued growth in relationship is is something that's really helpful for the series. And I, I think that it it it's important for us to get that. The fact that she's able to get to him, she knows what she needs to do to get to him, shows just how close that they have become. And I I really like that. I think that's one of the things that's been so enjoyable about watching this series as we move forward is the way in which uh, these characters have really grown um, and become, uh, you know, these close friends Mm -hmm. and that they have learned to trust each other. It has made for a very um, uh, fun rewatch because I I kind of forgot in some ways that this... I kind of forgot in some ways just how close Archer and Paul become even by this point in the series. And so I appreciate that they have worked hard and diligently to continue that relationship. And and again, like you mentioned, it's just one of those places where the series uh, is, is continuing to show us, you know, who these characters are and to utilize that continuity, which is great. I, I think that's, that's fantastic that we are that continuity is important again to this show. So, yep, yep. well, any final thoughts beyond those? And what's your rating for this episode, Matthew? Um, i I don't have a ton of final thoughts on this episode. I feel like you know we've talked through everything. I I do think to me that in the end though this would definitely be for me a much weaker episode of the series um i just i'm not quite a i'm not a huge fan of of this this episode it's got some things that i enjoyed uh, and and in all honesty the things that we talked about and kind of we pulled out of the the episode are the things that that i think you know, make this watchable. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad episode, but I I think that the episode it does it just suffers from the fact that we've seen this stuff before to me, and that's not this episode's fault. I'm not blaming them in any way, shape, or form. I'm just I, I think that it, it's it's a place where I think it could have been stronger, and so. Um, you know, uh, I wish, and in fact, I just wish it had been stronger. And I'm not exactly sure what you could have done to make it stronger other than possibly just, I don't know, maybe this is just not a story that we, we do on Enterprise. Maybe we just, you know, try to do something else. So, yeah, yeah. Well, what's your rating for it? I think I'd give this uh, two and a half out of five stars personally. All right. Yeah, I think that this episode, well, okay, first of all, I enjoy this episode. I agree with you that it's not any kind of groundbreaking episode that has any uh, really deep uh, message to it in the way that some of the ones that we've talked about 
have been, but I think it works better than a lot of the episodes of this type where the characters act unusual in particular, and there's one person who has to solve everything. So compared with other series and stories like this, I think it works pretty well. I enjoy it because I think that what each character is dealing with, in particular Trip, Malcolm, and Hoshi is fun. And so it's something I can turn on, let it play, and it's kind of a lighter story, and I enjoy it. But I also think that it highlights the problem with having a 26-episode season where you have to have 26 stories, and Mm -hmm. how are we going to do that? Mm -hmm. And pretty much every Star Trek series has those episodes in at least a few of their seasons where they've gone to the well of of basic story ideas because they've got to come up with yep. something. And this is one of those where they've got to get 26 episodes into season two here. And mm-hmm. let's do the one where everybody acts weird, but I yep. still enjoy it. So I'm going to give it six bottles of Kratasin spice. Nice. <laughs> All right, everyone, we'd love to hear your thoughts on Singularity. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our closed listeners group. It's closed because it is meant to be an extension of the podcasts and a place to carry on the discussion after the show is over. So if you're already a member, you know how it works. But if not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or type the Babel Conference and it should come up. Do please answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. That's how we keep the group for listeners instead of it being just a general Facebook Star Trek group. And once you're in there, you'll see a post for this episode on the timeline and you can share your thoughts with fellow listeners and with Matthew and me right there. If you'd like to send us email, you can do that by going to our website, trek.fm slash contact, choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5 and that will come to us both by email And if you would like to find us in social media, our username everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere is Trek FM. And we'd love to talk to you there as well. And if your podcast app of choice allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would love to get that from you also. And Matthew, we got this review a little while back and we've mentioned it in social media, but we haven't had a chance to mention it on the show Son of Saradoc left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. They said, loving the episode recap discussions starting episode 203. First-time Enterprise show viewer coming to it after loving the new Star Trek Strange New Worlds streaming season. Love the prequel themes and discussions. As a first-timer only partially through the show... I'm especially enjoying the podcast's 20th anniversary episode-by-episode podcasts, starting with Warp 5 episode 203 in September 2021, much less spoilery than the earlier podcast episodes, in-depth and thoughtful. So thank you, son of Saradoc, so much for that review. And I will just mention, in relation to the last part of that episode, the original concept of all of our series podcasts here on Trek FM was to dig into the minutiae of the series, not to be a episode-by-episode episode podcast. And so that's why they are filled with spoilers, because we're talking across the series. 
But now here we are going episode by episode and trying our best not to spoil too much of what's coming ahead. So again, thank you, Son of Sarah Doc and everyone else. We'd love to get your rating and review as well. Now, Matthew, when you're not helping Porthos with his obsession by building a little contraption so he can catch all the bits of cheese that are dropped around the ship, (laughs) where can people find you? Well, Chris, uh, you can find me all over the place, especially in social media under the name MattRushing02. Uh, of course, uh, here on the network, you'll find me with all of the different parts of uh, the network that we've got because I'm on a bunch of shows. Uh, one is the 602 Club, where we are talking about all of the fandoms that we love. Um, but we don't just talk about one fandom. We talk about all of them. Uh, so check that out. Of course, uh, you can also find me on Literary Treks, which is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. You can also find me on The Orb, Chris, where we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, and then we do a show called the Artificial Tango, where we're talking about Star Trek Picard. We specifically just finished season two not too long ago, and then we do the same thing, as you mentioned, up with Saddle Up, where we talk about every single episode of Strange New World so far, which just wrapped up its first season, and we eagerly anticipate season two. Uh, and then you'll find me over on the Nerd Party Network with a couple of shows. One is called Owl Post. I did that with Trey Kaufman. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast I do with John Mills. So, Chris, when uh, you know, you're know you not trying to just perfect your barbecue recipe, where can people find you? I just got to make sure it's not too salty. That's that's my biggest concern. It's important. Sure, you know. I, there, yes, that actually is very important. Yeah. So. But as you know, Matthew, every American family has their own way of making barbecue sauce. I mean, at least if you're from the South. <laughs> when I'm not doing that, you can find me here on the network, as you mentioned, doing all those shows with you and Larry Nemechek and I do the Ready Room from time to time. We have a new episode out right now talking about the state of the franchise in 2022 We discuss all the modern series, so tune into that. And also, you can find me on many episodes in the back catalog. You can also find me in social media if you'd like to chat. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C, and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere, but Twitter is where I'm most active, and I'd love to hear from you there. And if you would like to help us keep this show and everything on the network going, we could really use your help. If you'd like to find out how to support us, please visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And I'd like to send a huge thank you to everyone who is supporting us right now. We would not be here without you. Well, Matthew, I hope you're ready to hear the spooky story of Cyrus Ramsey next time, because we're going to be talking about Vanishing Point. Chris, that sounds like something I don't want to miss, so let's go. <laughs> <laughs>